Okay, joining us from uh, his deathbed is uh, the Giants prospect guru, Roger Munter. Uh, Roger, how are you feeling? I, I know you're under the... Uh, yes, rumors of my death are, are greatly exaggerated. All right. It's not rumors even of a... the Giants' death are not at all exaggerated. <laughs> it's not a Velveteen Rabbit situation, though, where they're going to have to burn your stuff when you get better? Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the Giants 2017, they, they, they're not great, but before that, they were okay last year, and so that affected their draft positioning a little bit this year. Next year will be different, of course, but I, I would say that uh, the, the industry people out there have kind of given the Giants a question mark for their draft, but sort of trending more positively, and how would you, how would you uh, characterize it? It, you know, Philosophy. it's one of those kind of Created by you know, the Giants do what the Giants do in that sort of weird and kooky way that is always their own path. Uh, however, uh, I, should, I, I shouldn't start negatively. I actually love their first round pick. So I'm a person who, like, every year, you know, there's this huge showcase event in the summer in Wrigley Field called the uh, Under Armour All-Star All-American Game. And every year I watch that, and there's some guy who just knocks the ball all over the place and runs around with their hair on fire. And I'm like, I want that kid. <laughs> and the Giants never draft that kid. But this year, they drafted that kid. <laughs> so uh, so Helio Ramos was the MVP of the Under Armour game last year. And he really, really put on a show. He almost hit for the cycle. You know, he tripled down the line. He homered into the basket. He was all over the place. Um, you know, he's big. He's fast. He's strong. He's the kind of toolsy, athletic, high school possibly middle of the middle of the diamond guy who they never draft and so from that to that first pick i was pretty excited by when i think of the giants i think of sort of uh cold almost austere talent that they tend to go after just some sort of polish and just sort of not making a lot of uh noise in a lot of ways um and so what, what do you think happened this year? The Giants just didn't like what they were seeing on the Major League team. They're like, they saw something exciting for once, and they, they saw, hey, let's try some, let's try some, uh, let's try some caffeine in the system. Or just, it was so overwhelming, and he fell to them. They were just like, we'd be stupid not to. You know, it, well, they'll always say, you know, this is the way our board worked out. Um, but it's hard to look at the top two picks, really, and not – think that maybe they're seeing that the organization needs to move new directions. I will say that they have traditionally done exactly what you're saying, like kind of high floor college players is what they're traditionally like to draft. They went for two, really three straight high school guys and the top two, their big calling card is power. So it sort of seems like they're saying we need to get more power into this organization, which would be a reasonable Conclusion, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that they were there. They were trying something new, and I think that the state of the organization necessitated trying something new. Yeah. So, Ramos, I want to. I want you to disabuse me of this because I only saw the brief video of him online after the pick, and it basically he looks like. <laughs> I feel so stupid for saying this. He looks like a bigger, uh, in terms of his swing, a bigger Jason Ellison. <laughs> um, 
he obviously the ball jumps off his bat, but I kind of like a right-handed kind of slappy motion at the same time. And I, I don't know if it's, I'm just not used to seeing quick bat speed anymore from the Giants. So I, I guess we're hoping for a doubles, a line drive hitter doubles turning into home runs at some point, right? That's essentially what the Giants are looking at. So uh, I'll, I'll try a roundabout way of disabusing you of this notion. No, directly so. <laughs> disabuse me of it. I'm the ignoramus here. <laughs> well, I mean, Ramos was a, a split camp guy. There were people who didn't think he should be in the first round. And yet the day before the draft, there were lots of talk of him going as high as like the top five, um, mostly on the signability thing with San Diego. But he was moving up. But there were a lot of people who wouldn't have taken him that high. And it's mostly because... Being from Puerto Rico, he does not have the track record that a lot of the American kids do. Um, but an interesting thing about him on the showcase circuit that was really often talked about was that he was bad in batting practice. That, you know, you go to a lot of guys, film their batting practice and drop your jaw, and you'd see Ramos and he'd be like fouling balls off and not look very good at all. But then when the competition actually started, he performed much better. Um, Obviously, it would be nice if he were good in both parts of that. Um, but for some reason, he does seem to be, or at least on the showcase circuit, he did seem to be a better performer in games than he actually looked just in the cage. Um, and, but the other thing I think you're seeing that's sort of interesting is he does have huge, huge power because he's got great, great hands and, and uh, bat speed, but he doesn't have a particularly long swing. And I think the Giants probably like that, too, because he's got a fairly simple and direct swing, which is the type of player they usually like. He just can generate a lot of power with it. Um, so I, I don't know that he's a doubles turning into home runs later guy. I mean, he, yeah, he will be because he's 17 years old. In fact, he was one of the youngest players in the draft. So he will be at some point at doubles turning into home runs. But he'll probably also hit home runs in the AZL, I would guess, depending on how much he plays there. Because he really does have some pretty big power. Okay, yeah. I I mean, right-handed power at AT&T Park, I think that's, I mean, that's as good as you're going to get. Um, and if you can find a guy who's not your typical, it's not Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge, you know, RoboCop coming off the assembly line type situation. Uh, any Anything with that kind of ceiling is promising. And I guess we're talking about the hitting so much. I, I mean... Get any sense of the defense? When he first started kind of working out and being on showcases, he was um, working out as a shortstop, but nobody saw him as a shortstop. He mostly was playing in the outfield on the circuit last year. Uh, the Giants hope he can stay in center. Uh, what you'll, you will actually see really different opinions on some of his physical tools, uh, particularly the speed in the arm. Uh, I've seen people who said plus arm and you know above average speed to maybe a tick above above average. You'll see people knock both of those down. Um, I think his arm is is at least above average. I would say that. Uh, so there's a chance he can stick in center field if he grows out of it, which he might because he's a big kid. Um, I still think right field is pretty good for him. And right field and AT&T having an athletic guy is a good place to put that anyway. I don't think he has to move to left. I think he can stay either in the, the center right area. 
Well, that's exciting. I, I think that any of the negatives that you would get, they kind of feel like they're the, they're the generic disagreements that you have with someone who's such a high draft pick or for the most part, you he's it just sounds like he's got that raw talent. And like you said, the Giants have typically gone for the higher floor guys. And it seems like his floor is pretty much on par with that. But there's a you can kind of wish cast with him a little bit in a way that the Giants don't usually go for, but also in that way that invites the divisions, the different camps of people like, well, I think he's got this ceiling. And I don't know, that, that just sounds like an exciting pick over all the way around for the Giants. Someone who's interesting. <laughs> you know, you'll hear a lot of people say the whole, oh, the Giants can't develop this type of player. But I think the, the, the truth is they haven't had that many. You know, the teams that develop those kind of players have a bunch of them. Texas drafts like six of these guys a year. Uh, and the you Giants mean guys one every five that, years. You mean that guy who has the potential, that rawness, that potential that you see. Right. Uh-huh. The, what, what is traditionally called the raw toolsy guy who doesn't necessarily, not the smooth polished guy, I guess. Those are, those are yeah. the two sort of poles there. Yeah, um, I, that's a great that's a great point. So in that idea of like, well, the Giants haven't d- developed a power hitter since uh, Matt Williams, <laughs> and oof. it's and it's basically a, it's a statistical that you could boil it down to maybe they're bad at coaching, but that seems unlikely just by the sheer number of years since Matt Williams. <laughs> the the quantity argument makes a lot more sense. I mean, they get. So many draft picks every year <laughs> that it just seems like if you don't prioritize that at all, yeah, you're not you're going to have fewer opportunities for one of those lotto tickets to pay off. That's what all draft draftees are; they're lotto tickets. So right, uh, yeah, that's great. I this is great because it's going to roll right into Jacob Gonzalez, who I know nothing about, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Six foot four, two oh six. He's a third baseman out of Chaparral High School. And I don't know anything about anything other than he's got the Gonzalez with two Z's, which growing up I knew Gonzalez is with the S at the end. So do you, do you know that it's Louis Gonzalez's son? I I know that as okay. I was saying it. That's that's and an I important the first picture. step. Yes, that's an important <laughs> thing. And he, um, but he's not left-handed, so automatically I'm just saying, okay, well he's not his dad. <laughs> he is not his dad. Um, okay, so Jacob Gonzalez is another guy who you'll hear. People say, oh, the Giants reached, um, overreached. And, you know, possibly they did. This is a real Giantsy pick where they go down the board. Um, <laughs> but there were people really, really talking up his bat. Um, Nathan Rohde, who used to be at BA and now does uh, Prep America and, and really knows the high school class, said he heard people in Arizona saying this is one of the best bats in the class and definitely the best power is very 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 big power the reason he was down the board is that his bat is his ticket he does not have a lot of defensive value probably going to end up at first base maybe left field um and right right first base is always a profile that falls down the draft board um in fact so there's a poster a long time poster on recovery chronicles evan who was just saying the other day that he always has felt right, right, first baseman are underrated because exactly that, because the bat's got to be the whole weight of the production. And so really, really good right, 
right first baseman like Paul Goldschmidt, like uh, Jose yeah. Abreu. <laughs> I was trying to think of people who were drafted, uh, <laughs> and there was one that was just in my head. Then I lost, but they tend to be drafted lower down um, because it is a profile that people don't like to draft high. Teams like to draft up the middle athletes, and they like to draft power pitchers at the top of the draft. So Gonzalez is a guy with a whole lot of bat. People like his offensive potential. His bat's going to have to carry him as far as he goes. Oh, man, I'm totally blanking on on any. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion? Well, you know, there's a really, really, really good one that I should be coming up with that I was just about to say, and I I swerved to Goldschmidt at the last second. I'm not sure why I did that. But, uh, (laughs) um, well, look it up. There's plenty of right, right, first baseman. (laughs) Because then my my brain, I I don't know, I just was like Mark Reynolds, but he wasn't drafted as a first baseman. No, Uh, he was a third baseman. Yeah, third baseman. I definitely remember that. Uh, No, but I mean, uh, undervalued if that's what Evan says, but I I mean – that is for the Giants. That's that is beyond gold. That is it's what we were just talking about. That if other teams are able to sort of look at something else, it's because they value it appropriately in the history of their draft boards. And the Giants' power, it seems like they just flee from it. If if a prospect has that tag on him, uh, you know, they've, I don't they've mean made that, a lot I'm of tries at that. Well, okay, that's... But they've, that, they've all I'll been these kind of that. flawed, yeah. you yeah. know, the Chris Dominguez... Fla- right. And, of course, the the big problem is that they they did the cardinal sin for baseball teams, which is they misevaluated their own guy and let Adam Duvall go, you know, because that was the one guy they drafted for power who gave him power and then got away. But uh, they have drafting, you know, they drafted Mac Williams and they drafted Chris Dominguez. They, they always seem to take these, like, big galute college guys in, like, the third or fourth round have a lot of power but they swing at everything and uh, that has not worked out so well for them so far it also seems like in those situations they try to get you're gonna say no it's not the case it almost seems like they try to get a little bit greedy with we want him to have one like if it's power that's his tool we also want him to have a little bit of something else and that's where they get into trouble because then it's almost like Dominguez, not that Duvall was ever going to be like a defensive stalwart or whatever, but, you know, and the Giants eventually moved him to left field. But the, he probably stuck at third base a little bit longer than they than you would think, right? Like if he had been with the Reds, drafted by the Reds, he would have just been left field the whole time. Uh, or that would have never been an issue. Or maybe I'm making stuff up. Or I'm thinking of Mac Williamson, his defense and the power. You know, yeah. sort of, uh, whereas Gonzalez is just like, no, it's his bat. It's we'll just figure that. it out later. Yeah, that's right. It is as bad. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because this year they they've been starting to kind of move a, a little bit away from that, uh, putting Ryder Jones out in left field a little bit, and Chris Shaw out in left field. So, um, I actually did not think Duvall would turn into as good an outfield as he has because he's pretty slow of foot. But um, clearly, that was something they they should have tried. But Anyway, we're, we're diverting from the point, which is that some people think Jacob Gonzalez has a really special bat, and the rest will get figured out if the bat plays, I guess. I actually feel like the Giants, I would say most organizations, you know, can make a player serviceable unless that player is so completely terrible. 
you know, defensively, that they can they can bang out something that's that works okay. The Giants won a World Series with Michael Morse starting in left field quite a bit, and then Travis Ishikawa. So I mean, like, let's not. <laughs> to me, like the defensive thing, they've got to be. You know, Mike Piazza was a catcher. You know, these types of things. Like, it's not. I'm comparing a Hall of Fame bat here, but it's not absurd. And, and if your farm system, your talent pool is kind of cons- uh, conspicuously thin, suspiciously thin. There we go. That's what I was going for. You kind of do want to find these potential. These higher ceiling things. So two two picks in, the Giants are already getting the Roger thumbs up. You've got two thumbs up, in other words, right? I'm, I'm sure two thumbs up. Well, who would you have? Who did you want to see at the number two pick that maybe I, they missed out on? So moving from the position of me not really knowing that much, I've heard really good things about Gonzalez, um, and that makes me excited to see what he can give. There were. The other people on the board who kind of looked interesting, there was a, a, a third baseman from shortstop, a uh, third baseman from Florida uh, who went right after Gonzalez, the next pick, uh, who was also kind of known for his bad high school bat. But, you know, I, people I do respect think pretty highly of his bat. So I'm, I'm definitely in a uh, I'm ready to be excited about him mode on Gonzalez. So that's a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, with the third pick, the Giants drafted uh, Seth Corey, who is going to split time between the Warriors and the Giants um, farm system, which is going to be an interesting move. And he's a left-handed pitcher. Um, I did not see that coming for the MVP, Seth Curry. Seth I, sw- Corey. I swear they said <laughs> Steph Curry when they announced his name, too. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the Giants saved a little bit of money uh, drafting Gonzalez in the second round, that pick value had a $1.12 million value. They signed him for nine fifty. The third round pick value is 558500 Giants signed him for a million. So right. as an idiot like me, I'm looking at that and I'm going, the Giants really like him. <laughs> and I, you know, I think people who may be looked askance at the Gonzalez pick. If they had flipped those two picks and done Corey first and Gonzalez third, nobody would have batted an eye at that. Um, so the, the Giants not only really wanted him, they also recognized that they were getting tremendous value? I, you know, I, I, I think he was a pretty good third-round pick. Now, I'm going to kind of tear your heart out a little bit here and just point out that Seth Corey is universally comp to Matt Moore. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I think I put that in the thread in the actual draft thread is when so when you or someone did the scouting breakdown. Um, but you know what? Here's what I think: Matt Moore made it to the major leagues. Matt so, Moore was a fantastic yes. eighth round pick, I think. Yeah. So in my mind, it's a it's a horrible comp when you think about Matt Moore now. But <laughs> the idea of the Giants <laughs> drafting a pitcher in the third round and him making it to the major leagues. As would be fantastic. Pitcher, would be great. So. Yeah. It's basically like when Picota, the main comp on some Giants players, Aaron Rowan. It's, yeah. it's, it's exactly that. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Seth Corey is a high school kid, very athletic. He a, was a, a well-regarded safety in football. Um, his real – he throws um, in the low 90s and can hump up a little bit, but his real, real claim to fame is he can spin a curveball. He has, 
beautiful, beautiful curveball, which is why he gets the Matt War comps, really. Um, so his, his, he's got a great spinner. He can throw hard. He has terrible fastball mechanics that will have to be ironed out. Um, so kind of you pull. say Matt Moore, but I'm also feeling some Sean Estes in there. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Sean Estes was good once upon a time. <laughs> and he had a great curveball. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did, and he could throw a fastball. Um, yeah, so Seth Corey, I think everybody who looked, scouts him sees a guy who can be a big league rotation person if you get the fastball command down. And I think there are a lot of mechanical fixes that – people suggest he needs to get online to the plate but um but he's got it in the arm and he's got and he can spin a curveball which i think is you know john manuel ba always says if you can spin it you can spin it if you can't spin it you can't spin it so having that ability as an 18 year old is is not a bad kind of tool to go with and i think they can probably figure him figure him out i shouldn't say that because they've had some of these uh, very similar kids in the last couple of years who have really struggled throwing strikes, but hopefully they'll figure it out. You know what's you know what's going to happen? The Giants are going to teach him a changeup or a splitter. Cutter. It's going to be. Oh, is that what they've moved to? The cutter. They uh, love the cutter. Because remember, with the Giants, it always used to be like, oh, they taught him a changeup, or <laughs> like they tried to teach him a, a split finger. Yeah, a cutter. They'll teach him a cutter, and that'll be how he gains fastball command. Actually, let I have two questions related to. Two now or three picks in, but with Seth Corey specifically, if you're trying to explain it to people like me or the listeners out there, what what is the challenge of of re- gaining fastball command, it, regardless of age? Uh, sort of is there is there a paradigm, or should I say, if you're opening up the textbook of pitching, the 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 chapter summary starts off with a certain guideline, or is it just it's all body mechanics and individuals. Um, to me, it's body. It's control of the body. It's being able to repeat your mechanics over and over and over. It's, you know, for people who don't happen to pitch, it's very similar to if you're a tennis player trying to hit the ball consistently hard where you want it, or if you're a golf player hitting the ball where you want it. It's really about body mechanics and having the athleticism to control your body consistently and repeatedly. And he had to learn that uh, some version of that, I would assume to throw his curveball because you did not say curveball command. You said, yeah. He did. So Strangely enough, he throws his curveball with command. It's because he probably had to, he had to learn how to throw it and he learned how to throw it in a very specific way. Whereas the fastball being the easiest pitch, right? It's, well, if, well, I mean, if it was also, the easiest pitch, you wouldn't <laughs> struggle. With it's also he's a teenager, and teenagers yeah. are their body is changing, and you're yeah. constantly figuring out, you know, how to live in it. So that's that was my question specific to Corey, but really for the first three picks, high school, high school, high school. Um, you touched on this already about sort of a, a departure from what the Giants usually do. If I just took the names off and I took the team off. And I said, here's a team that's drafting three high school players with their first three picks. What is you, uh, you know, you're a, you're a seasoned scout at this point. You write about it, you watch it, you talk to people and all that stuff. 
What what is your sense of that? Does it register in any meaningful way to someone like you when you hear that? Um. So I try not to go overboard on this. I always <laughs> like high school. Sorry, I love high school draft picks. It's <laughs> it's my it's my uh, my go to excitement every year at draft time. I'm like. I always find myself affixed to high school kids. Now, I recognize fully that college players tend to be the better or more sure return on investment. And also, the elite college players, as we see from, you know, Buster Posey and whatever, are huge return on investment. Um, but college kids have a large, have a tendency to give you the superstars that are really, really exciting. Uh, every year at the at draft time, you'll hear people say, well, this is a down year, and the reason for it is because the college bats have disappeared. And the reason the college bats have disappeared is because they're all being drafted in high school, hmm. and they're not going to college as much. Um, so you can really get the elite athletes out of high school in a way that the college draft doesn't always deliver. So... So yeah, you hear that and you go, oh my gosh, they drafted, they got a tremendous upside. And yeah, well, they, it's, yeah. it's high risk for sure. And it's yeah. boomer busk. Uh, and organizations that go heavy in this, and two that I can think of, you know, Texas does this, and of late, Milwaukee has been doing this. And you kind of got to throw volume at it. You can't, it, if you're going to do it, you kind of have to do it, I guess, is the approach that some of these teams take because a lot of these kids will fall by the wayside. But it is an interesting thing for the Giants to do. The last time they went high school, high school was, of course, the 2013 draft with Christian Royo and Ryder Jones. And both of them were, in their own way, kind of, kind of college-y picks. They were both guys who played internationally a lot, who'd had a lot of training and coaching, and both were kind of known for the polish of their game rather than they're incredible tools. So this was a very yeah, untraditional Giants top of the draft for sure. Well, we're going to just talk, just a program note. We're going to talk about the first six picks really. and then. Uh, but I just want to point out the first three picks, all high school players, Giants had 40 picks. Uh, out of their remaining uh, 37 picks, they drafted only three more high schoolers. So you talk about risk, but then – you know, the Giants immediately went with like, okay, we kind of, we went out on a ledge because there are these players here. And then they basically fell into, you know, I'm sure talent had some part of it to do, had a large part of it as well. But essentially, whatever risk they took in the first three picks, they then sort of decided, okay, we high risk there. We're going to try to fill it in, fill in those gaps uh, with some higher floor guys the rest of the way. Um and I don't know, it seems like, I don't, I don't remember what this, the breakdown is, but so many sites, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, Grant has written on SB Nation. It's just like, you look at the, the first five rounds of the draft, it's like, yeah, sure, a lot, some of these guys make it, but then a lot of these guys don't. Taking into mind what you just said about high school players and sort of the superstars come from there, that seemed like the Giants were actually very sensible about when they took those risks. I would say, just based on what you're saying and based on historically what we know, and these are all three players who uh, consensus-wise is sort of like, 
these are all very good draftees. The the argument's always like where they would go. But yeah. all these guys yeah. are in the top 130 players, at least ranking-wise. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and uh, some people, you'll hear people express frustration with the Giants because they don't, quote-unquote, game the draft like some organizations like the Astros famously do. Well, they'll, they'll draft a bunch of kind of $5,000 college seniors and then to allow them to have the money, then go after a bunch more high school guys. The Giants don't do that because they believe that they can get value in every round. And, you know, when you when you turn out uh, a Matt Duffy and an Austin Slater now and again, it kind of backs that up, that they, they have, in fact, gotten some pretty decent-looking values out of some of these top ten rounds uh, without, without getting to – well – by just scouting, by just doing what they what they, what they do, and not trying to sort of uh, game game it. Yeah. This year's draft, I, I have to say, after the top three, they started. It's a strange. It's it's just such an odd little draft because they've got all of these players from really small schools, and <laughs> you know these obscure JCs and these kind of NAIA. It's 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 like they're trying to go where all of the other scouts aren't in, <laughs> in some of these cases. Um, that's not true because everybody gets scouted, but it's really this amazing small school list uh, that uh, I just find fascinating. Their, nine out of their next ten picks are all juniors. Uh, one, the other one was a JV or JV was a JC guy. Um, yeah, and, and then, oh, and I see the number 14 pick, the Masters College, that's like in the Santa Clarita Valley here. And that's like smaller than St. Mary's College. It's like and, a little Christian school. So, and that's the third guy they've drafted other in the last two years, which is that's nuts. somewhat interesting. Uh, you know, Cal State Fullerton, that's a school. People know that place. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one of their top 10 drafts that has yeah. yet to sign because they were just uh, eliminated from the College World Series a couple of days ago. Uh, so what can you tell us about Garrett Cave that people couldn't necessarily find on, on, on one of these Baseball America type things? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can do anything that they can find on Baseball America side. But um, the thing about Well, I assume Garrett you've Cave met is, Garrett yeah. Cave. You've broken bread with sure. him. You know. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you he had an outstanding Cape Cod League campaign last year. Yes, <laughs> he was the best closer in the Cape Cod League last year. Oh my gosh, he he's eating dinner at the Sabian House for sure. <laughs> uh, huge, huge arm, big, big velocity. Even not in short bursts, which is why I would guess the Giants are going to try him as a starter for a little while because he holds very high velocity for multiple innings. Um, but I think most people do see him as a reliever long-term, but potentially an impact reliever, uh, potentially a closer. He throws in the 97-98 range. Um, he doesn't have too much of a repertoire. He's got a curveball. Um, but basically, he's just a big big power arm, which is a nice thing to have in the fourth round. He was drafted uh, by the Yankees, I think, out of high school. So he's, he's one of these guys who's been on the radar for a long time. Um, Sort of the opposite of the guy they drafted after that. Uh, I feel like it's tr- it's tricky, right? With uh, the 
the guy who's a reliever, but you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend so much money on a reliever because all relievers are just failed starters. So why not? Why not try that? Um, yeah. In a perfect world, are you giving as a secondary pitch? Uh, you said he's got a curveball, but I mean. They can scrap if it doesn't look good. They'll just scrap it or find it. So, what what to you is sort of like the best uh, secondary pick pitched for a guy to develop uh, if it's not a curveball or maybe it is a curveball. I don't know. Uh, Cave also does have a slider that can be a power slider sometimes. So I, much more giancy. Yeah, yeah. For ages and ages, they used to have kids scrap curveballs and throw sliders. Um, so my because I grew up. A long time ago, <laughs> and I <laughs> and I still have you know like Koufax and Ryan as uh, in my head as the perfect pitchers with the combination of the fastball and the curveball. Mm-hmm. I love I love starting pitchers who have a fastball curveball combination. Um, Clayton Kershaw, that was actually as a minor leaguer, that was his his repertoire too. Uh, but relievers, for some reason, I really like the slider. I like fastball slider for late game relievers. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, neither I does do makes actually. much sense, but <laughs> no, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you are probably attacking more aggressive hitters later in the game. I think a slider is a, a much better aggressive hitter pitch. I, I feel like curveballs, they're the the best curveballs in the world are freeze pitches, but they're also mainly they're not going to go in the zone. And I think a power slider has that. You know, Jeff Samarja's slider is simultaneously good and and worthless and that's why his cutter is effective (laughs) but i think i think the tilt of that slider is what's so great about it um so of sliders is what i mean Uh, well i think the other thing about late innings is a slider at least to right handers kind of stays away from power in theory although that didn't work out so well i don't know about Garen last night I also feel like uh, the the right kind of slider too. If you've got a strikeout pitcher uh, with the fastball, that the slider is both either a strikeout pitch or a ground ball getter, and and so I think that also has value too. Like, oh, he can get the double play maybe. Um, doesn't mean he's like a, a Corey Garin. And it wasn't like Sergio Romo was getting double plays all the time, but he also wasn't not getting double plays when he needed them sometimes. So. Uh, to to invoke a bad example, but I guess Brian Wilson. There we go. Brian Wilson could get the double play when he needed to here and there when yeah, he was Rob, walking guys everywhere. Rob Nen when he Rob was Nen, of course. Good Rob Nen. And he, he had that down. slider that broke like straight down. I well, that's what I mean. The tilt on the slider is always important, and that was such a severe one. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I guess if hey, if Garrett Cave gets the Rob Nen slider, fantastic. <laughs> that that <laughs> right. would be that yeah. would be nice. Yes. Uh, Brian Shaw is sort of the only player whose current slider I'm I'm enamored. The reliever whose slider I'm like, that's a great slider. But he just can't control his pitches most of the time. So anyway. Coda Glover has a great slider. Yes, yes. I've only seen Coda Glover pitch like two games than he was hurt. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Jason Barr, B A H R. Okay, but Jason Barr, if you like sort of human interest stories, he's the guy you want to root for in this draft class. He spent three years in college pitching, I think, less than one inning um, and was cut, I think, twice. Or he was redshirted once and cut twice. Anyway, he kept trying to pitch, and his coach at University of Central Florida had no interest in letting him pitch, 
And so he'd go off to a summer league, which is where the Giants, I think, first saw him. Um, but anyway, after his junior year, his coach was fired, and a new coach was hired who saw him in a summer league, brought him back on the team, and he ended up being um, a star, actually a star middle reliever for a team that won their won their conference. Um, and he, I think if he had qualified, he would have led college pitchers in strikeouts per nine, um, something like 15.9 strikeouts per nine. You're speaking my language right now. Yeah, so it's, it's just a great sort of uh, persistence and uh, whatever gritty grittiness, uh, stick to itiveness that is kind of heartwarming. Um, his stuff's not overwhelming. He throws, uh, you know, mid nineties fastball with pretty decent command. Um, mostly, it's a feel kind of for sequencing, but. He, in both his summer leagues and his uh, college conference, he really put up huge, huge strikeout numbers. And he, he's, he's a subgenre of Giants pick. Giants have a tendency to draft these guys who almost never appear in college, but they they find them in summer leagues. <laughs> like they're on the they're on the side field, uh, and that's where the <laughs> yeah, Giants well, I mean, see him. <laughs> you know, Garrett Williams could never pitch because he couldn't throw strikes, and Chase Johnson, his coach got mad at him for reasons that are obscure and he never got pitched and Jordan Johnson was never healthy and he never pitched. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a little niche part of the Giants do, drafting strategy. Yeah. I do appreciate the Giants sort of the, the shoe leather, uh, finding inefficiencies, like literally like, let's just walk around <laughs> and see if we find a baseball player and then figure out their story. Uh, by the way, Terry Rooney was the baseball coach who was an asshole to, to poor Jason, Jason Barr. Barr. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was very curious to know who who was it? Um, he, he deserves to have his name spoken yes. on a major uh, outlet like this. He looks like a he looks like a difficult person. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg Lovelady was the hero of the story, who uh, the new first year coach. Uh, he's a sensitive soul, it's right there in the name. Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, that's great. Okay, so Jason Barr, we got someone to root for. And certainly that is – there are so many uh, great Giants fans out there who do support the minor league system. And, you know, if, they, if they're if they not told – not give it – fed these positive stories, they'll find them. But sort of that's great to – you know, you automatically know what the, this guy's gone through to get where, he's, where he is. Um, so that's great. Uh, and that leads us uh, for these top six picks. We're talking about Bryce Johnson of Sam Houston State. Uh, a switch hitter and a center fielder, and I'm curious to know right off the bat, are either of those things going to stick? <laughs> yes, without a doubt, both of those are going to stick. Um, okay. And the switch hitter part is really fascinating because he actually took up switch hitting in college, like after his freshman year. He said, I think I'll switch hit now, and proceeded to switch hit. Um, so Bryce Johnson is... If, if your heart goes pitter-pat for 1970s era center fielders, the way mine yes. does, this is yes. the guy for you. Um, <laughs> because he is, or if you secretly dream of the Giants acquiring Billy Hamilton, this is the guy for you. Because he is just pure speed. And his speed plays on defense. And he is a slappy hitter from both sides. He takes walks. He gets hit by pitches. He gets on base. And then he steals. Um, 
So it's I'd like to point out a pure speed game. Well, I like to point out that I like those types of players a lot, but I don't need them to be the leadoff hitter. If his on base percentage is like a three six three seventy three eighty situation, fine. Let's talk about it. But I'm fine with that guy being down in the order too, which. I think the Reds have done with Billy Hamilton in the past, but that's exciting. Yes, uh, his picture on uh, MLB.com is is a little tricky. He looks like Eric Burns in this particular picture. That's that's <laughs> not a good look. No, it's not a good look. <laughs> Want to change it up there a little bit, Bryce Johnson? So have you have you seen him play? Uh, I have only seen videos of him okay. playing. I have not seen uh, an actual game of him playing, but I certainly look forward to it because. Boy, I love me some speedy uh, center fielders. So and God knows we could use one of those right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just any sort of uh, interesting outfield depth. Is there anyone else from the rest of the draft uh, that you wanted to mention quickly? Or we can just wrap that part up and we can talk about the players you have been watching. Yeah, we can, we can totally wrap it up. I, okay. um, there are some interesting JC guys in this draft, but I'm not sure if they're going to sign because... Uh, and by the way, I should say, for anybody who really wants to go more in-depth on the draft, there's a fantastic fan post on McCovey Chronicles that one of our one of our posters put up that's got all of the signing bonuses and the slots and bits of scouting on everybody. It's really, really good, and everybody should look for that. Um, but it looks to me like they are very close to out of money at this point. They have to sign that last uh, uh, John Gavin so they don't lose that slot money. And after that, they may not have even enough to sign one more player. So I don't know if any of those JC guys are going to end up getting signed or not that are currently unsigned. So just to be clear, what you're breaking right now is that the Giants may not sign Frankie Tostado. Tostado. Yeah, there are three guys who, Frankie Tostado, Blake Rivera, and um, Keaton Wynn, who I think are all unsigned, very interesting JC kids that – it's going to be tricky to find money to sign one of those guys, but uh, we are going to lose Frankie Tostado, though. It's I, going I, to. I'm not excited about that. I, I really <laughs> wanted Frankie Tostado. <laughs> you just want to get that name in the system. That's really the big. Uh, the big Pretty one. much, yeah. Uh, only defense is the one who wrote the fan post. SS yes. Giants draft signings and scouting reports. Yep. it's on the right side of the page if you are visiting the and site. And it is a fantastic resource. Yes, uh, great. Uh, so now let's just talk about the 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 nightmarish hellscape that is the San Francisco Giants farm system, and why uh, I'm wrong with characterizing it that way. Brian, you're wrong to characterize it that way. <laughs> uh, we're going to ignore the major league team. Austin Slater is up, so that probably doesn't affect rankings or anything like that. Um, but I guess I, I, I've the the team is so bad that's consumed all my mental thoughts. So you can just <laughs> you can just take this wherever you want to go. I do have a couple of general questions, but I want you to kind of give first like a state of the farm address if you could. Um, okay. I, I will do that. But before I do that, <laughs> let me ask you this question. Oh, what's, what is your, what's your feelings about Austin Slater? Uh, I like him as a – right now, right this second, I like him as a fourth outfielder, and I'm glad that he's the guy that's getting – that they're giving him steady playing time all the same. But as what I'm looking at him, I'm projecting him as this is like the corporate suit Giants draft pick. Like the guy who's going to sit in the cubicle and 
and process the paperwork that they need him to. And then when someone better comes along or when they fold his position, you know, he'll, he'll move on. But I, I kind of just, I don't know, he just, he kind of just reminds me of like Connor Gillespie. He's just there. <laughs> uh, I don't see anything particularly interesting about his swing. Uh, what, what I like about Arroyo is that Arroyo was, was not, he was pretty quickly overmatched, but he didn't seem like he was getting frustrated, which was making him be worse. Uh, and I don't think Slater, I think Slater kind of, this is all my perception. He seems to have that demeanor as well, but I don't love the swing and go, that's a 20, well, no 30 home run hitters exist for the Giants anymore. I get that. He's not an 18 home run hitter. So that's kind of where I go, I don't know. Yeah. Did I answer that question correctly? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I find it an interesting question because he's, you know, he's injecting life. And I know people really, really like him. But I'm kind of the same as you because going back to the top of the draft, the Giants just are so desperate to put some power in this, this organization that I'm a little leery of both Slater and Arroyo taking corner positions in the coming years um, because there aren't that many places to put real power in the lineup. And I'm not sure adding two more kind of contact gap power guys is the best path, you know, up. So Uh, I I, I tend to agree agree with you. you. Uh, Although I tell you what, if, if there were any chance, any chance at all to get rid of Span's contract at the trade deadline, since this season's going nowhere, you know, would it hurt to throw Slater in center field for a couple months and, See if he's competent enough there to really be, you know, a Gregor Blanco or a fourth outfielder type going forward. I don't I think he, I don't think he do can that. do it. I think he's, yeah. it stretches him too much. But it's kind of a what have you got to lose thing because because I I tend to agree with you about him. I and I kind of balance everything out with what the Giants have or ignoring what they might have with this new draft just for the time being, and I go I. I, I, I'm disappointed that the Giants can't hit home runs when the rest of the league is hitting it at a prodigious rate. So, yeah. I'll take on base percentage. And I definitely don't see, like, that's when I survey the landscape. And I'm like, this is no man's land. Or should I say no on base land? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it, it hurts when there's, you know, Brandon Crawford just implodes in that oh part God. of this game as well. And, you know, I agree about what you're saying with the corners. And I go, I, you know, you say if they could get rid of Denard Spann's contract. And I posted this article about Brandon Belt. I'm like, well, you know, Arroyo could play second. He could play short. I don't know what that means for Joe Panic. They're never going to move Brandon Crawford, obviously. But right. you know, his contract's up in four or five years. And Christian Arroyo will be still 19 years old. So, you know, it's not... You know, there's crazier things that could happen where he still fits and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. also think he's a good he's a good player, but yeah, I don't know. And uh, it's true that just getting, yeah. you know, people who aren't horrible, horrible, horrible hitters is, yeah. is, is an improvement, yeah. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean walks, but I mean, that certainly is one indicator of that. And, yeah. you know, the contact, the contact game can work, but you've, it's basically, you know, the Giants get killed, you know, they give up two or three runs every time they make a mistake and other teams can only have to worry about giving up one run yeah. on a mistake. Cause it's single, single, single. And it's just, all right, well, I don't know what that's going to do in the long term, except 
drive everyone crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's true at this point, but right before this road trip started, I was looking at, you know, home run numbers. And I think the Giants, before they went to Colorado, had surrendered the fewest home runs in Major League Baseball. But the ratio of home runs allowed to home runs hit was like the fourth worst in baseball, which is kind of incredible. Um, yeah. Because you can't really do better than the best. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not the way to solve that problem. Um, no. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm also thinking, uh, you know, I was a big believer in when I saw Mac Williamson going well. And I do respect at this point that the Giants are going to kind of move on from that because of his age and all that stuff. But it's just, it's just frustrating because, you know, injuries, you got to – I got. I have to factor in and say that that had to be part of it, but it's just a matter of anyone who even has power potential either gets hurt a lot, or yes. the Giants don't play enough, or they just or they are overmatched at least in, in in a certain sample size. And so I don't know where to go from there. The fact that Slater's getting hits is is gonna just have to be good enough. <laughs> Which you just did. He hit one off the yeah. top of the wall. Oh, well. Off and you're yeah. CRT's glove. Anyway, let me get back to your original question of yes. the state of the farm. So, so I have a little bit of good news on this, and that is that. Well, let, let me start this. Talking about the hitters, <laughs> by and large, the group of the Giants' best hitting prospects this year have all put together pretty good years. I mean, there's not like the kind of backward steps and face plants that make for a really bad year on the system. Uh, their hitting prospects are putting together good seasons, um, almost uniformly. The, they do have Stephen Duggar has unfortunately not played yet this year, uh, which really hurts because he was the one potential center field guy they had. But, you know, Arroyo has more or less destroyed the PCL. Um, Brian Reynolds has been solid, I guess you would say, in the Cal League. Um Heath Quinn is putting up really big power numbers in the in the Cal League, but uh, particularly in t- talking about this whole issue of power on the major league team, um, they have kind of two guys in Sacramento right now who are looking like other potential power hitters, and that's Chris Shaw and amazingly Ryder Jones. Hmm. Um, one kind of complication of that is they're both basically left field slash first baseman. Um, so how the Giants are going to kind of deal with all the roster complications of only having this one left field position to kind of get power into the lineup, I'm not sure. But Chris Shaw, so last year, his first full year, he had a really, really good half season in the Cal League, got promoted to the AA and had, you know, a, an adjustment, had a month where he, he uh, struggled. And then the end of the year, he came back pretty well. This year, they returned him to Double A, and he was really good there. Got promoted to Triple A, and the similar kind of things going on. He's having a he's having an adjustment period, um, but he's been playing almost entirely left field and looking fairly smooth. I mean, he's not a fast guy, certainly, but he looks comfortable out there. Um, he can hit for he's probably he's easily got the best biggest power in the system right now and it's to all fields uh how much he's going to hit is a question but he's not jared parker uh i'll say that <laughs> um 
So he's a guy who's not too far away. He he can probably be in the picture 2018, maybe even later this year, although I, I kind of doubt that. And then the other guy is Ryder Jones, and Ryder Jones is really, in my mind, one of the stories of the year on the farm. Because Ryder Jones has always been sort of the guy who has taken after Christian Arroyo, right? And he's basically been not very good at every level and every year he gets promoted and he's not very good at the next level um but you know he's always been a big kid a toolsy kid and he's somewhere last year in double a things started changing for him and some of that i think is he just started growing into his body and got stronger and balls that he used to hit to the warning track started flying out of the park and pitchers started pitching him differently but very clearly his approach changed after the all-star break last year and his walk rate started going up and with his walk rate, his ISO went up and he started hitting for much more power. He went to the Arizona fall league and had a great fall league campaign. Um, and I know I've talked to some scouts that say he's made some mechanical adjustments. So he uses his hands more, but his whole game seems to have changed somewhere in about July of last year. And he's having a really good year in AAA this year. And I, I don't think it's the PCL. I think his game has actually changed. His walk rate is twice what it has ever been. And his isolated slugging is much higher than it's ever been. And he is, I think, looking like an interesting guy who has kind of one of these guys who was an athletic toolsy kid who it kind of clicked for. Um, he's going to be on this team sometime in the next year, I think. He's a left-handed hitter, so I'm automatically arching an eyebrow. Yeah, <laughs> he can put a jolt into a ball. He's got well, the, at AT&T kind of Park, that'll yeah, you know, at and Park, it'll just be a pop-up to it'll, second. It'll de-joltify <laughs> it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, he's going to make his appearance. I don't know what they're going to do with him. Uh, he has played mostly third base in the minors, but he he's he's big and. You know, big people struggle at third base sometimes. You've got to have really Giants, good feet for that. The Giants have very interesting. If if they want to, they could have some real problems with their corner guys, corner infield positions, because Nunez, ignoring that he's hurt for the moment, that's a trade. <laughs> that's a trade candidate, obviously. Yeah. But he's also their de facto third baseman. Uh-huh. Connor Gillespie's coming back. Yeah, um, I'm not adv- advocating he starts, but he'd be in the mix. Christian Arroyo is in the minors doing that. Chris or Ryder Shaw or Ryder Jones would be uh, in that mix as well, and um, and Huang uh, would also be there. Um, yeah, and and so and he's got an opt out coming up as well. He uh, does in the minors. He actually has not been playing that much lately. I've noticed, and I'm not sure exactly why that's true. If he's been hurt or if it's because um, Sacramento actually has a pretty crowded corner roster themselves right now. Um, well, and then you talk about Brandon Belt, who, uh, you know, they could move him, and you've got Jones or Shaw, who they've been playing at first base, or, you know, who plays at first base, and, you know, Posey to play more games there. So, like, if the Giants wanted to, they could have some real interesting problems on their corners. But as it stands, they're kind of in a position that I don't recall in my Giants fandom of. They have offensive talent that they might be able to include in a deal. Um, I guess Lucius Fox was sort of 
part of, and Matt Duffy last year yeah. kind of knocks that out. But it's kind of, that's Poor kind Matt. of an interesting, yeah. But it's kind of well, whatever you want to say. Yeah, the fact that he was good enough that another team thought he was worth trading for that says something. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. So and he's tremendously injured, which is bad luck for him and both the teams. It's yeah. just it, it's what it is. I would say that the Giants ha- have options, but they could have the problem if they wanted to at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I mean, they just it's they have some interesting players, and it's certainly in a year like this, you'd like the opportunity to look at them, but they have also real roster complications because they have these contracts that you know are immovable, and like Connor Gillespie, Connor Gillespie does not need to be on the 2017 Giants. However, I think he's somebody who you could flip for something usable at the trade deadline because contending teams remember that he hit a 103 mile an hour fastball 400 feet in the playoffs last year. Someone's going to want that. So you don't want to give it away. He, I would be very interested to know if, well, he has not played very much this year and he's a year older. (laughs) Yeah. And even though he was one of the top players in baseball, uh, he's 29. He's the same age as Brandon Belt. That's crazy because he seems like he's 38. Um, well, he was you know, in the was, draft class yeah. with uh, Fosey yeah. and Crawford, yeah. He he had like one of the top batting averages against like 96, was it 96 miles an hour? Something like that, yeah. 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 Uh, would that hold up? I don't know. But yeah, you're, you might be right. Uh, uh, there's got to be a team out there to do that. But it seems like he's part of either a larger deal or it's just like a a player to be named later move or, or maybe some sort of other minor. He, he's a bench bat. Yeah. If you're thinking about the movie. Yeah. I think, you know, my whole kind of, I think one thing you can do that's really useful on the trade deadline is not get, you know, they're not getting Eloy Hamonets with anything they have probably, but some teams and the Astros are really good at this. Go scout the rookie leagues, you know, and that's where you can get the impact guy before he's the star prospect. Um, and those are the kind of guys you can get for small pieces for in deadline deals too. Mm-hmm. You know, get no, the guys who's too young yeah. for them to care about. Kind of like the Giants were willing to give up on Lucius Fox last year because you know, an A ball player is a long way away. Um, so anyway, the, you can do useful things with small pieces if it's kind of far enough down the road. But then another problem the Giants have coming is, again, Jarrett Parker, who's now rehabbing, and in 20 days, they've got to find a way to stick him on the team or, you know, wave him, which I can't believe they're going to do, or, I don't know, wave Gorky's to put him on the – I don't know what they're going to do with Jarrett Parker at this point. Um, I've never been a big believer in him, but while you're kind of hoping for, say, hey, let's bring up Ryder Jones and look at him, you know, here comes Jarrett Parker saying, nope, I gotta, I'm got out of options. i got to get on this roster. Uh, and it's How just a big players? roster construction problem. How many players, have, when it's all said and done, will Jarrett Parker have, have blocked? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. There's there are very few players in Giants history who seemingly has blocked more than one player. Uh, he's going to probably block two or three, which is pretty crazy. It is pretty um, for yeah. It is crazy. Uh, I would okay, like so to I, see the end of, of, of yeah. Jarrett's days, but I think he's going to have one more act where he blocks somebody else. Uh, all right, I just have a couple, kind of the last two questions. One is, they're both sort of global questions that are based on you being in the trenches. What are the scouts saying about what 
what's wrong with the Giants? Are they saying anything? Is there is there anything going on that, besides them just laughing hysterically? Well, not to give the false impression that I'm like sitting around the coffee shop with scouts all the time, uh, <laughs> because I definitely am not. Um, but I, I will say one thing I did I did hear that really stuck with me this year was that somebody said when you look at the Giants, you wonder where's the athleticism. Um, in a game that is getting younger and more athletic, they look old and slow an awful lot of the time. And that that really resonates with me, which is why I kind of you know, gave three cheers for a Helio Ramos pick when it's made, because athleticism, it's a huge, huge need for this award. You know, and they said that that's why they drafted uh, Brian Reynolds last year, which is a good reason. And it's why they paid all that money for Lucius Fox a couple of years ago. So I think they recognize that too, that they need to be more athletic because the game is getting younger and it's getting faster. And uh, and they've got to be able to they've got to be able to cope with that. Hmm. So the Giants are just getting uh, out hustled essentially <laughs> because of of. Uh, their genes. How about that? Uh, <laughs> well, they're last... <laughs> right. They're, they're, they're all they're old. old part, yeah. I mean. uh, one thing about Brandon Crawford, which you know, I, this is not to dump on him at all. It's like it's just amazing. He's actually reached the point as a shortstop where he is gonna just crater, and it's it's just kind of amazing that we saw that he was up and then he's down. And I think that's sort of the system shock this year for all of us. It was like the Giants were up. Say what you will about last year, you could say you could point to this and that, and there was some degradation. But they were still where they were last year. They are far from this year. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> and, a, and I, I said great. this not long ago to some other people. It, it sort of shocked me how quickly the Giants' great players have just, you know, become hardly playable. And and I, that starts with Lincecum. I mean, Lincecum going from the great Tim Lincecum to barely, barely rosterable in an off season is still a shock that I haven't quite recovered from. Um, yeah. And then Kane did the same thing. And it's like, why do, why did all these people just like turn to dust at, you know, 27, 28, 29 years old. Um, but I will, I guess the hopeful way to look at it is, you know, Crawford's having a miserable, miserable year, but you know, let's remember that in 2010, that championship team was built on a whole lot of, dead cat bounce players. I mean, Aubrey Huff, Pat Burrell, Juan Uribe, there were a lot of players who came back from having been terrible at some Andres, previous point in their Andres heart. Torres? Andres Torres, who came from, I don't even know where. Right. Uh, uh, and I would say 2012 with uh, Angel Pagan, that was kind of another one of those situations as well. So. Yeah. So being, maybe Brandon Crawford won't be terrible next year. That's that's something to well, hope for. <laughs> you would hope it's more like a two. You'd hope it's more like a two fifty three twenty, uh, three ten. I guess for him. Yeah. Uh, and maybe maybe slugging. So he's getting his OPS is somewhere close to seven hundred. <laughs> and would love to see that. the the on base go over three hundred. That would be a really, really yes. Nice that, I mean, that's kind of mainly for me. Like let. I was like, you heard me say 320. And I was like, yeah. no, 310. Just get to 310, which for now seems very difficult for him. Uh, and then my last question actually was sort of, um, it, again, it's just the Giants have sort of these, you know, running jokes, the Cape Cod League being one of them, 
uh, you know, running under uh, running under the bed when power hitters come up to be drafted. Uh, sort of, why are the Giants awful internationally? Like the Giants are like our State Department on the international oh, stage, which is a complete and utter embarrassment. And they don't they on the public facing side of them don't seem to know what they're doing. You, you could ignore the actual results to just say it doesn't actually look like they know what they're doing publicly. <laughs> uh, so uh, do you have any sense of that or what we can what what idea we can sort of take with us as we as we all carry this podcast into our weekend? <laughs> um, so I will push back tiny bit on this um there are organizations that are truly 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 awful on the international market um most famously baltimore who simply refuses to spend there um in fact and i was at a an event with dan duquette speaking not long ago where he openly said that ownership doesn't let them spend money there um and as a result they never produce anything from the international market uh, the Angels are not far behind them. You know, the Giants have not had much success in developing from there, but they have used players from that market in in trades in a in a series of trades, and that's that's not that's not nothing. I agree. Pablo Sandoval, agree. of course, was a very 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 yes. important player to them. So, I would say weaker than average, but they're not really the true dregs of Major League Baseball on the international market. That said, and they certainly have made some improvement this century in that regard. They have, and they've uh, you know they they put a lot of money down in there recently to really upgrade their facilities. And I know their facilities are now good enough that they send some of their domestic players down there in the winter time to train. Um, so hopefully, having world class facilities is going to help. Their the way they have spent money down there has kind of dounced around. They every now and then do one big spent signing uh, and then don't for several years. Um, and their big signings have had some 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 pretty bad results, pretty bad luck too. Um, mm-hmm. But it is kind of hard to see a plan or an approach to that market from year to year. Uh, I'll say that about them. And that's that's something that I think could use the change. And I actually have heard things that suggest that they're looking to how they run things down there. Um, I know I, I did hear from a source that I consider fairly reputable that the last couple of years they've been sending some domestic folks down there to okay the six figure signing. So I think maybe they are looking at changing the structure of the management of their scouting department down there in some way going forward um but I, I don't think you can you certainly can't say that it's been a really successful project over the last 20 years it, it's it's produced a little bit of value but uh for the money that they've spent down there they certainly would have liked to have seen more come out of it right that's kind of the theme of this season without a doubt without a yeah, doubt the giants have spent a lot of money and they're not getting a lot in the return but I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, these are not, you've actually laid out uh, reasons for hope in not just like a couple of guys, you've pointed to several, and 
sort of at the top of the show, we talked about, you mentioned there is a quantity element to this. (laughs) And so the fact that you were able to name half a dozen interesting players that are brand new this year, um, and you were also able to name about a half dozen players that are still, that are currently in the system. We didn't touch on any pitching in the farm system. And that's probably for a good reason. <laughs> the pitching has had a, had a tough year this year, actually, yeah. I, you know, uh, so let me just say really quick after what you said there, Brian. I, I can name some guys, and there's some guys doing good things. They need more. Um, they're really good. You know, I know people always say, oh, people don't like the giant system, but we produce whatever, whatever, but whatever. It's a thin system. You know, the AA team barely has anything you can call a prospect on it. Um, they have whole rotations. The, the San Jose rotation has, I guess, one guy, interesting guy, Matt Crook. They've got a lot of organization guys taking up a lot of starting positions in this, in the system right now. So they, they've got some good things going, but they really, really need more because, you know, major leaguers, you need, you need depth to produce major leaguers because these guys are going to flame out. So... Okay. They need to keep the ball. They need to keep the ball rolling and and get more talent from everywhere they can get it, whether it's trades or international or drafts. They need to add on to some of the good things that they have going right now. Well, maybe in the next uh, month or so, next five weeks or so, the Giants might make some more additions, and if that happens, we will rope you out from your important jet setting life. <laughs> to come on and talk uh, some more, get get you out of those coffee shops for an you're, hour. You're the guy who lives in Hollywood, <laughs> if I recall correctly. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Uh, but it's all a miserable slog of traffic. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Roger, for coming on. And you're doing Minor Lines every day. You can check it out on the site, McCovey Chronicles. Do you want people following you on Twitter or you just want us to leave you alone? No, I love people following <laughs> me on Twitter. I'm up to four now. And I really would like to hit five after this podcast comes out. <laughs> Where can they find you then? That would be at Raj61. That's R-O-G-6-1. All right, Roger. Thanks. And thanks for listening. Thanks very much, Ryan.